there's a verse in the Bible that has become really popular today. Uh, the most popular verse used to be John 3.16, and whenever you would watch a sporting event on television, there would be some guy behind the goalpost or whatever it is, boop or whatever, holding up the big sign, John 3.16. And that's a great verse because it points, us, points people to the love of God. And so it's been displayed a lot. But there is a now more popular verse that has been um, picked by those who don't even go to church. They really love this verse. They really love to step into it. And that verse has really become more popular since we've had this little thing going on uh, of tolerance versus intolerance. And our society has really pushed all of this into a direction. The verse has become the favorite of many unchurched people and has been totally taken out of the context of the entire Bible. It, that's what happens when you take one little small section and build uh, a whole lifestyle on one little verse. And so what's been happening is, is that the culture has been leading us with this verse. And because it sounds really kind of true to us, we've heard it before. People that go to church are going, yeah, that's a really good verse. And, and we need to obey that verse. And so what we do is we apply that verse to everything that goes on. And the problem is, is that what, what has happened is, is rather than taking scripture and learning and understanding and applying scripture to scripture so that we get the full counsel of God, what we do is we take one little verse and we let the culture lead us. God has uh, given us great things that we're supposed to do as people who follow Christ. And we're supposed to be leading people in this kind of a way. Jesus said that you were to be the salt of the light of that is our job. As Christ followers, we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And yet what has happened, and, and in that, we're supposed to be leading people to the cross so they can find out who Jesus is. But the problem is, is now culture is saying, here's a verse in the Bible that you guys need to pay attention to. And really what they're, what they're saying is, is that this applies more to church people than anybody else. Here's the verse that they're using today. It's the most popular verse in the world. Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be just. Or let me put it to you this way. To make it sound more religious and more authoritative, it would be, thou shalt not judge. And that's, that's where you hear from people all the time. Church people, non-church people, they throw that out and they like to throw it in, our fa in, in people's faces. Here's what our culture is saying to us as Christ followers. They're saying, you who call yourselves Christians, you are all judgmental people. And all you do is shove our sin in our face and your righteousness down our throats. And then you ignore your own sin. You are intolerant of those who are not like you. And you judge those whose lifestyles are different from yours. And you totally disregard Jesus' own teaching on judging. Thou shalt not judge. That's what the culture is saying to us. That's what non-church people are saying to us. Maybe that's even what church people are saying to each other. I don't know. There's a reality, this idea that is often ignored by a lot of church people. And it's misunderstood even by those who don't consider them Christ followers, but who want to pick up and choose a little verse that they're going to be saying, this is my favorite verse now for my life. And so 
what I want you to want to do to help you get in the mood of this verse, and by the way, if you go home and one of your friends calls you up and says, what was the sermon about in church today? It's thou shalt not judge. Okay, so get that. But here, I, I want you to really get into this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to say that together. I want you to start to, to start to feel this whole thing. So I want you, in a minute, with me, say, thou shalt not judge. You ready? Okay, ready? Thou shalt not judge. Uh, that was okay. It wasn't real strong. I mean, if I were giving you a grade, it, grade, it would be a C-. So I want to help you out a little bit. So we're going to do it again. But this time, what I want you to do to help really help you feel the empowerment of, of of judging, I want you to take your little index finger like this. Everybody get your index finger up. Because, <laughs> because in just a minute, you're going to take that index finger and you're going to wag it in somebody's face. This is, this is, this is going to be a little bit of what I'd call sanctified finger wagging. And so the person that's near to you, in just a minute, not only are you going to say, thou shalt not judge, but I'm going to give you the opportunity now to wag your finger in somebody's face, okay? Let's, let's go. All right. Ready? One, two, three. Thou shalt not judge. All right. It's kind of funny, Hans, how sneaky judgmentalism is. You can actually start to feel judgmental towards people when you're saying thou shalt not judge. It kind of starts to do something inside your, your butt. It's actually fun to point your finger at somebody and say that. Thou shalt not judge. And by the way, I've had fingers pointed in my face telling me not to judge. And so, you know, it's, it's really hard, though, because when Jesus says don't judge, is he saying we're to live a life free of judgment? Because I don't think that's what he's saying. And I think that the truth is, is that we make judgments all the time. You're making a judgment right now. You're judging in your heart. You're going like, is this really a message that I want to listen to? Do I really think that I have a problem with being judgmental? Probably not. I don't think I'm a judgmental person. I know that so-and-so in the church, they're pretty judgmental. And so they really need to listen to this message today. And so we start having these little things. I'm making judgments about you right now because some of you are going like, I ain't listening to this story. You know, I'm not, you know. And so we, we have, we're always taking information in. We're always processing information because we have to make a judgment about what we see, about what we hear, and about what we experience. Because life isn't just filled with us speaking words. It has a lot to do with our body language. What does my body language say? And so when you see somebody's body language, you're making a judgment about whether the words they're speaking and the way their body is responding match with each other so that you're getting the full picture. And so Jesus says, don't judge. Thou shalt not judge. Is he really telling us that that's what we're supposed to do? Not judge people. You know, you do it all the time. Sometimes what happens is, is that you drive up to your home and you're about ready to get out of your car to go in the house when you look through the window and you see your wife standing there with her finger going like this and the kids are standing on the other side going like this and you're making a judgment about what you're seeing through the window without hearing anything and you're thinking to yourself, I think I should go back to my office and avoid the, the mayhem that's going on in the house. I don't want to be there. 
but yet you act like a big boy and you get out of the car and go in there and say, hey, I didn't do it. Not my fault. So we're always making judgments. And that's really what Jesus is saying. He is speaking to a heart issue. And it's what we would call being cynical or critical. When Jesus tells us not to judge, he is in essence saying that we have a tendency, a great propensity of being cynical and critical towards other people about how they live their lives, about where they spend their money, how they raise their children, even the depth of their spirituality, we're judging that. And one of the people who finds themselves on the end of criticism and cynical uh, attitudes often are pastors. I, I know because I am one. And so here's what it looks like for a pastor. If, he is, if the pastor is young, People say he lacks experience. If he's got gray hair, he's too old for the young people. If he has four or five children, he's irresponsible. If he has no children, he's setting a bad example. If he uses a lot of illustrations, like the one I'm using right now, he neglects the Bible. If he doesn't use them, then he's not relevant. If he condemns wrongdoing, he's just cranky. And if he doesn't, he's compromising. If he drives an old car, he's just making the congregation feel bad. And if he's driving a new one, he's just setting his affections on earthly things. <laughs> he's handsome if he's bald. <clears throat> Listen, pastors aren't the only ones that get judged. You guys get judged all the time. People are criticizing and being cynical towards you. And we're all criticizing and criticized by others. Yet Jesus says, don't do that. It's bad for you and it's bad for the other people. A critical spirit, a judgmental, condemning spirit is endemic to our human situation. Now we go back to what Jesus said, judge not. He's not saying we're to check our brains at the door and just kind of put everything on autopilot. But what he is saying is that we need to be really careful about how we make our judgments. As a matter of fact, we have a responsibility in the church to make accurate and just judgments about difficult situa situations that arise within the body of Christ, within the church. Here's one of the major issues that I think church people present to the world. Is what happens is, is that and it's not all church people, so don't get me wrong. I'm not painting all church people with one broad stroke here. But there are church people who will take the word of God, godly, biblical things that are supposed to be applied to people who are walking in the spirit because the spirit, those who are in the spirit, understand spiritual things. People who have not been re rejuvenated and redeemed by the spirit of God, they don't understand spiritual things. But yet what happens is there are these well-meaning, I think, Christians who will take the word of God and then they'll place that heavy burden of, of following God's word on people who have no relationship with God. And we, they, they wag their fingers at them and tell them, you're being bad because you're not doing what God tells you. They're trying to hold at people who are not godly to godly biblical standards. And, and all it does is drive people away from God rather than drawing, drawing their hearts near to God. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in, first, in his first letter to the Corinthian church. He said, for what do I do have to do 
with judging others? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. Now, listen, I want you to know that even though Paul says that we're to judge people inside the church, you're, you're missing the point if that's all you read. Because what it's really saying, what Paul's really saying is, stop judging people who don't have a relationship with Jesus in, in, in their, their sinful behavior. Because they're just doing what they, comes natural to them. We naturally sin. But what we often do is we place this burden upon people not to sin when that's their natural inclination. And it, it, cre it creates a, a, pr a problem. And then you think about, well, we're supposed to judge those within the church. So do we walk around with a judgmental attitude, a critical attitude towards those in the church? That's not what Paul's saying at all here either. What Paul is saying is there are people in the church who you have brought the word of God to them and said, this is what the word of God says. You need to stop disobeying God in this area. And you bring it back to them, and you bring it back to them, and you bring it back to them, and they just keep saying, forget it, I'm not going to obey God in that. I don't want to obey God in that. My sin is too much fun. Forget God. And so what Paul says is then take that, that evil person and get them out of the church because that evil behavior is going to become infectious to other people. All of a sudden, other people who are young in their faith or new to their faith, they're going to be looking around going like, oh, it must be okay to do that. I think I'll do that too because it looks like a whole lot more fun than, I, than I'm, what I'm having. So we have been given the responsibility to take a look of what's going on in the church carefully. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 6 about the heart. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of, his, uh, of the heart, his mouth speaks. So I'm just going to tell you something. This has got to be one of those verses that we need to kind of go like, ooh, I need to pay attention to this. Because even though Jesus isn't saying something emphatically, he's definitely implying that we judge, we are judge and judge others by the condition of that person's heart, which is revealed by the words that come out of their mouth. You see, your words are always going to reveal what your heart really thinks. What really is true to you is going to come out of here eventually. You can't hide it. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that we need to pay attention to what we hear people saying. Not that we're giving people license to judge, but because what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people move away from sinful behavior and step into loving God with all of their heart, soul, and mind. And so Jesus is giving us the statement that we're supposed to do, but he also wants us to, to step in with discernment. You know, the problem is, is that when we, we have the critical or cynical things that are pouring out of our mouth and we're being less encouraging, it really is an indicator. If we take a moment to think about it and look at what's happening with ourselves, it is an indicator of uh, a, a problem that we have in our heart. Our mouths become the barometer of our hearts. Our mouths really help us to see where, where we're really at with the things of God the things that need to have correction brought to them. 
And Jesus is really about making sure that we don't misread a situation, make a judgment that is so misplaced that it is actually uh, really damaging to the other person and will cause or inflict unbelievable harm to their spirit. That's, that's what a critical, cynical heart does. Jesus says it takes discernment to make the correct judgment, the correct judgment about what you think you have just observed. Because in John 7, Jesus said this, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. How many times have you thought you have looked at something and said, oh my goodness, this is horrible. And you've made a snap judgment later to find out that you didn't know all of the story, that there was much more below the surface than what you read, and your judgment was wrong. Dangerously wrong. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look beneath the surface, because the, the judging that Jesus forbids means having a spirit of condemnation and rejection. It means indulging this desire I have to want to feel superior to you. I, I don't want to be humble. I don't want to think about your hum humanity. I want that sharp twinge of pleasure that comes with expressing contempt towards you. Condemnation will cripple another person's soul. And that's what it is intended to do. You know, we've been trained in the kingdom of this earth. We have been trained to pass judgment as a way of trying to control other people, to indulge our own spirit. And if you want to know how this works in our lives, all you have to do is hang around with the parents and their children. Because if a parent has a cynical, critical, judgmental attitude, all you have to do is listen because what the parents say and the parents do comes out of the little kids. Because what do they do? They mimic mom and dad. Whatever mom and dad's talking about, that's kind of the way that they start to talk. That's the way they start to behave. And the problem is, is that when those little kids grow up to be adults, now they've got that cynical, critical attitude just like mom and dad. And they're infecting other people with that whole thing. And it's really, it, it, is, it is so detrimental to the, to the hearts and the souls of people who are receiving that critical, cynical response from them. It is so devastating and we just don't realize it because a lot of times that's what we've grown up with. So if a critical judging attitude is something that the Bible and Jesus, the Bible generally speaks against, and Jesus in particular forbids, if it damages other people and corrodes our spirit, why would anybody want to do it? Why would anybody do the thing that is so devastating? Well, I think the basic, basic reason we judge is it's kind of fun. I mean, after all, we kind of even do it recreationally. You'll notice religious people, in particular, have a problem being judgmental. And often, the more devout their re religiosity, 
the more judgmental they become. Often it works this way. We're, George, we're judgmental toward people because we're jealous. We're afraid that they might be having more fun than what we are by following God and having more of the good life than we are. And we don't like that. So let's go back to Matthew 7, verses 1 through 2. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Now, in this verse, Jesus says, judge not, that you be not judged. This is a call to refrain from hypercritical, condemning judgment. There is a world of difference between being discerning and being hypercritical. A discerning spirit is constructive and acts out of a stance of love. The reason why I'm calling this thing that you're doing to your attention is because I love you too much to let you continue to behave this way because it's damaging to you and it's really damaging to other people. And so out of a stance of love, we step in with discernment. A hypercritical spirit is destructive. The person with a destructive, overcritical spirit revels in criticism for its own sake. He expects to find fault in every action others make. When a critic discovers faults on another, he feels a malevolent, malevolent um, satisfaction and always sees the worst possible motives in the other person's actions. This kind of judgment, the person always is focusing on just the little insignificant things, but they make them out to be the most important things when they're judging other people. It's really usually hardly anything at all. It's nothing. And so in, in Jesus, in, in Matthew and Luke, they both record Jesus' command not to be judgmental and that there are consequences from having a hypercritical attitude towards other people. In Matthew, Jesus says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured against you. And in Luke, this is what Luke recorded of Jesus. He says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. With the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. The part of our condition is that we can't stop sinning by trying to stop sinning. In other words, you can't stop being judgmental by trying hard to stop being judgmental. We need to ask God to replace a spirit of judgment with the spirit-empowered, reality-based, genuine acceptance. There's a very powerful dynamic at work in this teaching that Jesus gives us. He, he, he's talking about the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use, you will be measured. He is observing here a general law of the human condition, which might be called the law of reciprocity. Reciprocity. In other words, you tend to get back what you give out. If you give love, you'll get love. If you give anger, you tend to get anger. If you give distance, you tend to get distance. 
If you give sarcasm, you tend to get sarcasm. If you give joy, you tend to get joy. So it's if you get what you give and you give it out, you tend to get it back what you give out. In other words, you will reap what you sow. That's a reality in life. People don't recognize it. They don't want to understand it. But Jesus also says, with the measure you use, it will be measured. So right here is a bucket. And also in this bucket is a communion cup. It's not a shot glass. I'm just making that distinction. Okay? So when you think about what you're giving out, when you measure things out, so if you can give a bucket of encouragement to people or you can give them a communion cup of encouragement. Do you give a bucket of mercy to people or do you give them this much uh, mercy? Do you give a bucket of anger to people or do you give them a communion cup of anger? How about when it comes to judgment? Because Jesus says with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. In other words, judge others as you would have others judge you. How would I like to be judged? How much mercy would I like? A, a, a communion cup of mercy or a bucket of mercy? Now, when you come to judging, which you will do because I'll do something that's messed up shortly here. I would prefer that you give me a bucket of mercy. I want you to remember there's a whole story behind my life. I want you to take into account that when I do something judgeable, my genes, my deficiencies, my hidden pain it are all in play. Remember, I'm Scandinavian. Therefore, I don't always use my filter. Sometimes I get insecure. I carry scars in my life. My mom made me clean my room far too often when I was a kid. And guess, you know, my dog died when I was only 43 years old. So I want a bucket full of mercy. Now, here's the question. Do I give a bucket full of mercy? When I look at other people, do I remember that they have a story, that they have wounds, they have scars, they have genes, they have parents who mess them up, they have hurts? All kinds of stuff has happened to them. So do I give mercy by a, uh, a communion cup full or do I give it by a bucket? With the measure you use, it will be measured. When you do that, see, when you, when you can see past the surface, like we said, when you can see below the surface of failure, below the surface of shame or unloveliness, you just give somebody a bucket of mercy they weren't expecting that can change a whole life. That can change their whole perspective. In their book, Switched, the Heath brothers tell about a classic story about Tom Watson. Tom Watson, if you don't know who he was, he was the CEO of IBM back in the 50s and 60s. And one of his executives made a business decision that ended up costing the company $10 million. Now, in today's market, $10 million in these big companies isn't that big of a deal. But in the 50s and 60s, that was a lot of money. Okay, $10 million is still a lot of money to me. $10 is a lot of money to me. But nonetheless, back then, it was, it was a lot of money for the corporation. 
And so this executive knew that his mess up was probably going to cost him his job. So he came into Watson's office with a letter of resignation ready, prepared, and he said to Tom Watson, I assume I'm here so that you can fire me. And Watson said, fire you? Of course not. I just spent $10 million educating you. He said something like, I can't afford to fire you, so get back to work. Now, the Apostle Paul tells us what it costs God, what it costs Jesus to deal with our condition of continual bad decisions. In Romans, Paul wrote this, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were sinners. We hadn't even said, I need help to God. God says, you need help, and it's going to be this. And so what we have is we have Christ dying for us. Now, I want you to get this picture. I want you to really understand this. After Peter had denied Jesus three times, failed him at the moment of his greatest need, he meets Jesus after the crucifixion on the beach at the Sea of Galilee after he'd been fishing. It was after the crucifixion and the resurrection. I imagine P Peter saying to Jesus, I suppose you're here and you're going to fire me. And Jesus says, fire you. I just invested a crucifixion into you. I am the res I'm in the resurrection business, not in the pa uh, passing judgment business. Get back to work. Go feed my sheep. Can you just imagine the relief that Peter felt? When all of that was said to him, the joy that exploded in his heart at that moment, imagine the words, thou shalt not judge. What that meant to Peter after that, do not judge. I, I know it's a little bit hard for us because there's always somebody in our lives who's made really bad mistakes. There are people, some people in our lives, who are really quite unlovable. They're cranky, they're greedy, they're needy, they're mean, or they're wrong. And yet I have to ask myself, Am I ever unlovable? Am I ever mean like that? From God's eyes, what does he see in me, really? So do not judge or you too will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you find yourself wondering, because Christ followers will often will wonder different things, well then how do I stand up for my rights without being self-righteous? I will give you the best wisdom on this that I have ever read or heard. It is from an author, Dallas Willard, and he says this. Offer gentle non-cooperation with evil. Offer gentle non-cooperation with evil. He, he used to say the two main elements of job discipleship are do your work really diligent with God's help and then offer gentle non-cooperation with evil. You may be wondering what that looks like, how it plays out, what it really means. And this is how I saw this instruction, uh, a worthy one for us to remember, working out in the life of one of my mentors back when I was 
first in ministry as a youth pastor. My senior pastor, Don Olson, lived this out in his life. Whenever you would have a conversation with Don, he just would not gossip. He just wouldn't do it. Literally, I never saw him gossip. I never heard him gossip. When other people would, were with Don, they didn't gossip. We just never saw gossip with him. I thought about why that was so with him. And it occurred to me that when you gossip, you do it because you get a little reward from the person with whom you are gossiping. The other person leans forward a little bit. They listen a little more intently to the gossip that you're giving. And then they get it, when you get a little bit excited about what you're talking about, you both get the thrill of gratification from feeling superior to the poor person you're just gossiping about. Well, of course, we would never do that, is the thing we say when we're talking about them. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. That's just horrible. We'd never do that. And isn't that really too bad that they did that? You know, to justify our gossiping, then we say, we should pray for them. <laughs> Gossip always involves judgment. And what I realized with Don is there was literally nothing in him, in his body, at the cellular level that would collude with this gossip. It's not that he said, thou shalt not gossip. Probably he could have said that, and it would have been just fine. Everybody would have gone, yeah, that's right. But if you were to gossip around him, he would just look a little disinterested in what you were saying. Or even, he would even look maybe a little bit sad. And he wouldn't ask for more details, and you would get no gratification out of it. It was just no fun to gossip with Don. Remember, if sin isn't fun, then you're not doing it right. And Don didn't do it right. Sin turns out to be fragile in many ways. The powerful force in the kingdom of God turns out to be so fragile. In the kingdom of God, gossip could be a powerful force, but it has it, it loses all of its power because the one one of those who uh, is always in the way generally sinning requires collusion to be sustained. One follower of Jesus who who offers gentle non cooperation with evil can just stop it, and that's what Don did. Don lived this verse out in his life every day from Ephesians. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. What we need to do is we need to ask God to help us to live a life of such vitality in his kingdom, sufficient joy of being loved by God, alive in this amazing world, where he feeds the birds of the air, dresses the flowers of the field, that sin ceases to be fun, that you can offer habitual, gentle, non-cooperation with evil. You don't even have to say that's what you're doing. You don't have to say to your gossipy, judgmental co-worker, watch me gently, non-cooperative with your evil. 
It will just be your body. It will have an impact on the people without their even being able to put a finger on why it is that way. That's what the kingdom is among us. That is kingdom living. That is the divine conspiracy, which is always hidden in Jesus' way. Now, we're turning from condemnation, thou shalt not judge, in our friendships, in our friendship with Jesus. We're living in a kingdom, in a reality where condemnation is simply irrelevant to our lives. That's why Paul said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't receive condemnation from other people. We no longer let it in. We still have to receive feedback. If your boss says to you, the work you did on this project is not satisfactory. You may, you may um, condemn my work, but the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I repudiate your con condemnation. No, you still have to receive feedback and, and critique, constructive criticism with a humble, humble posture but not condemnation. You don't have to receive it, not even from yourself. We ask God to heal us of our shame. We live in the moment to moment in his deep acceptance of who we are. So now this week, what we were all going to do, what God's asking us to do, what Jesus is commending us to do, is just to set aside all judgment. This week, as you offer your love, rather than condemnation to your friends, to your enemies, to your parents, to your children, to your spouse, to your ex-spouse, to your employees, to your employer, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to the people who serve you, to the people you serve, to the, you will experience a new level of grace. Remember at the beginning of this talk, I said that God, that we're supposed to use God's word to understand God's word, but we're all supposed, also supposed to let God's word guide us into all truth and knowledge away from condemnation. In Hebrews 4, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what God's word does in your life. It discerns your thoughts, your intentions of your heart. It reveals who you are. You will begin to experience a new level of joy. You will begin to be more at peace. You will find yourself entering into a deeper relationship in moments because people will begin to open up to you. They will not even understand why it is what they're doing. You will begin to brood less. You will begin to worry less. You will begin to think about yourself less. You will begin to encourage others more. You will be blessed and you will be a blessing. If someone asks you, what was the sermon about today? Will you tell them, if somebody asks you, was the sermon any good? You'll have to tell them, you be the judge. Now listen, if you don't know what it is to be in Christ, if you've never turned your life over to him and ask him to forgive your sin, to free you from judgmental and condemnation so that you know that you are at peace and accepted by God through the power of the cross, through the love and forgiveness of Jesus. You can do that right now. Just ask him. Just give your life to him. Turn it over to him right now. That's the call this morning on all of our lives is to be in relationship with Jesus so we can be in relationship with each other 
and not be critical, cynical, or judgmental. So here's three questions I want you to consider today. How has God demonstrated his love in your life? What are ways I can extend the same love, patience, and grace God has given me? And how can I respond in this way that builds a person up rather than tears them down? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pause now to live a moment in that wonderful reality that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that you would allow all of us to live in a radical freedom from condemnation that's all around us. Then, God, make us conduits of blessing rather than judges and condemners to all who are around us, to all who are in our lives, to all whose paths we've crossed. May we find a radical acceptance and love that flows from your throne, from your heart, from the blood of Jesus into our lives so that we can live in freedom rather than in a judgmentalism, that we can live in the knowledge of your love and grace and we can extend that to those you have placed in our lives. And so we ask now that you would relieve our hearts today from the things that hold us back, that enslave us. And may we know your love deeper than we have ever known it before. We ask in Jesus' sweet name. Amen.